I'll just go home because uh, Dave read my scripture. <laughs> yeah, so that was fun, but that's how God works. He likes to confirm his word. <laughs> that, that is okay. So yes, as James says, we're in the Romans series. Uh, my name's Angela, and I'm on staff here at First Assembly, but I find it such an honor to be able to come and speak tonight. So um, we're just going to dive right in. My title tonight is called The Question. And I'm a person that loves questions. I think um, questions are so important in getting to know people. Questions are very important to build friendships and relationships. And so I'm the type of person, if you hang out with me, um, I don't do a monologue. I don't talk about myself. I'll instantly interview you. So if you want to know about me, you have to ask questions. But questions are powerful because you get to know someone. But questions are also powerful because you actually enable the person being asked to get to know themselves as well. So some people who don't talk a lot, they have their opinions, they have their beliefs, they have their thoughts, but rarely do they maybe share them. But when you ask them about what they think, what their hopes and dreams, their life stories, they eventually be able to, like, they can share it with you. And as they talk, they actually figure out, oh, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is part of who I am. So questions are powerful. Conversation is powerful. And questions are all throughout scripture. And I was talking to a friend the other day about um, the idea of God testing us. And no one likes tests, am I right? Okay, really, there's a lot of people in here who love tests. Okay. Anyway, so we're talking about testing and um, how we go through trials. And an earthly view of the word test is like a negative feeling because Your whole life hinges on it if you're in school. Like, am I going to get into that program? Am I going to go to university? Am I going to fail a grade? It's like this pressure to answer every question right. But I was thinking about tests. I wonder if God's view of tests is a positive thing. God never sets us up for failure. He loves to set us up to succeed. So I wonder when we go into tests, God's actually really excited because He's like, oh, I can't wait to see what they know. And so tests are made up full of questions. And they're questions about what you believe or what you think. And I feel as if God is saying, okay, they're going to come up and I'm going to ask them a question. And I'm so excited to see what's deep inside of them. Because if you want to pass a test, you actually have to think very clearly about your answer. So Romans 10, I get the whole chapter. But it's a long chapter, so I'm not going to go through it all. But one section did grab my attention. And this is the section where Paul um, asks the Jewish people a question. A question that probably made them a little uncomfortable. It's a question that makes a lot of us today uncomfortable. And it's a question I'm going to pose to you tonight that might make you uncomfortable. Which is really good, by the way. A little context, we went through the book of Romans, and in this so far we have learned the life of a Christian, that we stand in um, righteousness due to our faith, we get rid of our sin nature, and we embrace the sonship and the daughtership, I made up that word a couple, a couple times ago, um, the sonship of our Father in heaven, we learn how the earth is waiting for us to be revealed, and we learn how the church and the Israel have a purpose together. This is where Romans is taking us, it's like this chronological order of our faith being developed. But that, it doesn't stop right there. It doesn't. 
It's not all about us. I don't know if you know that or not. But (laughs) Jesus was the best example. He died to himself, and he was sacrificial. And so this is where Paul gets us. So first we're going to read the uh, scripture before my main scripture. And it is in Romans 10, 11. It says, Scripture reassures us, no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same, no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls help God gets help. Now that is beautiful. So, here's the big question. The challenge, the call, the invitation by Paul is that he's making to the Jews of the day, an invitation God has made for all who believe, and the question I present to you tonight, and this is my main verse, Romans 10. Thank you, Dave. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? It's powerful. Paul is saying to the Romans, hey, will you go tell the Gentiles of the hope and the love of Christ that has been so graciously given to you? Paul is asking them a question, if they'll do it. And I wonder if Paul is trying to get them to think beyond themselves. And I wonder if he's asking them this question so they dig deep to remember the teachings of the old prophets and the teachings of Jesus. And Paul is reminding them that Jesus did not just come for the Jew, but he also came for the Gentile. And as part of the family of God, they are called to share this news with everyone. This is the same call to us as Christians when it comes to those who don't know Jesus yet. And this call has gone out through all of scripture. It's the call of heaven. And it says, who will go for us? And who who will tell the world of Jesus and the love he has for them? It's the invitation back to the prodigals to say, come home. And in Isaiah, I love this because I feel like Isaiah is eavesdropping on heaven. Classy Isaiah. And it says in Isaiah 6, And then I heard the voice of the master, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I spoke up, I'll go, send me. I wonder if God never allowed Isaiah to overhear the conversation, if Isaiah would ever gone. Would he have ever spoken up and say, I'll go, if he never knew that that question was in front of him? I bet in that moment, Isaiah stopped and took inventory of his life and to see if he was willing to go, and he was. And we have this question all throughout gospel, saying, who's going to go? Who's going to go to the homeless? Who's going to go to the broken, to the ones that are bound by depression, by demons? Who's going to go and set them free? It's the question Jesus left us when he left this earth. And I believe it's a question that actually challenges our default thinking, and that is self. We are so thankful we are saved. We're so thankful we have God's help. We're so thankful that he's developing us and maturing our character. We're so thankful for that. But that's about us. And it doesn't stop. It goes, okay, I'm glad you're experiencing that. 
But now you have to actually live that out and bring that message to those that haven't experienced it yet. God always asked a question. In Jeremiah, he said to Jeremiah, this young kid who was a king, and he said to him, after he reminded him that he was called for the, that time, he said, what do you see, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah answered, I see the almond tree. And God said, you see well, for I am ready to perform my word. Now, the almond tree was symbolizing that winter is over, spring is coming. And God was asking Jeremiah, what do you see? What is the spiritual season do you see? Do you see the harvest field? Do you see the breakthrough? Do you see it all? And then when, when Jeremiah responded, he's like, okay, let's move. Let's go. And Paul is saying to the Romans, and I am saying to you, that we have this invitation to tell the good news and the gospel of Jesus. Because if we look with our eyes, our spiritual eyes, we will see the people that are ready to hear it. It is part of our responsibility for those who have received the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. It's our responsibility to go and share this with people. You have been saved from hell. Think about it. If you just camp on that for a while, it's a pretty good thought. You have experienced this love. You have experienced compassion. You have experienced grace. You have experienced mercy. All these wonderful things that, was, that were given to you and that were available for you when you met Jesus. So now what? Well, it's your responsibility to share that with others. And Paul said in Ephesians, it is my passion to enlighten every person of this divine mystery. My question to you, is it your passion? My question to myself, is it my passion? Have we been so captured with the love of God that it compels us to tell someone else? You know, when you fall in love, and I recently have. um, (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) you kind of are just like so excited to tell people, right? It's like you can't stop talking about it. They're going to get sick of it. You kind of like see the eye roll. Oh, here she goes again. (laughs) But it's such this like, it's, it's a thing inside you that is so like, I have to share it. And sometimes I get like, I'm so wanting to share about this, but rarely do I get so like passionate about sharing about Jesus. Like that's a challenge for myself. It's a challenge for, you know, you, you've, you like meet the best friend and you just can't tell, you can't wait to tell people that you've met someone that just can do life with you. Have you been captured with the love of Jesus that it compels you to tell people of him? Or have we become so familiar with this love and have taken it for granted that we forget to tell our lost brothers and sisters about a father who yearns to have them home? The more I learn about God, the more I am confused by him. Just being honest. (laughs) Lately, it's been like, this is this. It's like, he is the lion, but he is the lamb. I'm like, which one are you? He speaks in thunders. Oh, but he speaks in whispers. 
He doesn't need me. Oh, but he needs me. It's not about me. Oh, but it is about me. And it's this thing that God could easily invade anybody's life. He's sovereign. He could easily show up and manifest himself where you're like, like Paul on the road to Damascus. That could be your encounter. But God, he so wants to partner with us. He so wants us to be a part of his story. And he is a good father and he wants us to receive the prize in heaven when we get there for doing the good work on earth. And I love this verse um, in Romans further on in chapter 10. And if I was like sitting there listening to Paul telling me, um, like, who's going to go and challenge me on it, I would have been like, uh, hey, Paul, verse 20. And verse 20 says, those who found me weren't even seeking me. I manifested myself before those who weren't even asking to know me. So I'd be like, oh, you got this, God. <laughs> You're good. You don't need me. But he wants to do it with us. He's a family. He's a father with his children. He wants to journey with us. It's scary to go out and tell people about Jesus. Let's be real. It's really scary, especially in North America, Western culture. To have to step outside your comfort zone and tell strangers about love. You know, you are going to face rejection. Just FYI. (laughs) You're going to face mocking. Harsh words. Uh, I thought this was funny (laughs) because... So uh, Jen Johnson posted about Game of Thrones last night. And so, of course, whenever she posts something that's controversial, I love to read the comments. Because, you know, in the church, we really need to fight about stuff like this. So that's sarcasm. But um, because she had hashtag Game of Thrones, it brought in a whole other world <laughs> to this conversation. And, um, and it was funny because, like, non-Christians were commenting. And this one girl... She's probably from the Midwest, don't even know who she is, made some comment about Christians. And I was like, ouch, that hurt. And I honestly haven't been like, I guess I'm pretty protected in my bubble, working at a church, and you know, you don't really encounter people insulting you. But I like, I was like, oh, that's really like, that was cruel. You know, I haven't been in school for a while, so it felt a little bit schoolyardish. But anyways, it was... It was a, a reminder that people will not always get it. But it doesn't allow you to give up. But at the same time, you might face rejection or mocking or harsh words. You actually might face a heart that is ready. And you might have a part in saving them from hell. And bringing them into the Father's love. It's so worth the risk. Risk will eventually bring reward. But we have to trust that we do our part and God does the rest. I, um, I never wanted to go to India. So if you're from India, I apologize. I never wanted to go to India. I was so fearful of going. I was like that 13-year-old girl that was in youth group and knowing God's going to send me to India or to Africa and leave me there in the village with no one. And I was like, God, don't send me. Do not send me to India. And then I also try to do reverse psychology with God and be like, God, send me to India. You know, like that kind of reverse psychology. So he sent me to India. He did. 
And it was like, it was about a four or five year process for God to like warm my heart to the idea of India. I heard, started to hear stories of the actual people that lived in India. And, um, and then Sarah on staff here said, hey, do you want to come help lead the team to India? And I was like, an immediate yes, because God was already working on my heart. So I show up in India, get off the plane. It was 4 a.m. And I walk out of the airport, and it is, like, busy at 4 a.m. Right, Cheryl? <laughs> and it was, like, horns honking, just it's so full. Of, it was totally alive. And I remember walking out, and I was like, oh, this feels normal. This feels like I'm supposed to be here. It was the most familiar feeling that I've had. And those two weeks were so powerful for me because it was a place I never wanted to go, but God had, but I took a risk and God actually used me there. And there's this picture of me in India, a group photo. And it's honestly my, my favorite picture of myself. And I don't say this like, hey, look at me. Like, in the photo, it's a group photo of our team. And my smile on my face, I have yet to see it since that day. Like, just hear my heart. <laughs> yeah, that was a good smile. Um, but it was like this joy on my face. This, like, being used by God. I was in the place where God had called me to be in those two weeks. And I was able, like, I look at my face and I'm like, there's no fear. There's no, like, being scared. I didn't even look for my best angle. I just smiled for the camera. There was a flash. I don't even know that's a good thing. But it was such a photo that's, like, showing me, Angela, look what happens when you risk because you're, you get to be a part of God's story. And I hope, because I overcame my fear, I hope that when I get to heaven, Jesus will take me by the hand and lead me to a person, an Indian person, and say, because you love them, they're here. See, risk will always bring you to places that you never thought you would ever go, but it's the most beautiful place that you will ever have been. Um, I was talking to, I don't know if you guys know Christina. Um, She's getting married to Derek on the worship team. We were talking about this verse, the main verse. And um, she said to me that that verse always gets her. Because she grew up in a Christian home. She was taught the Bible. She was taught about Jesus. And she said, what would happen if I didn't grow up in a Christian home? And I didn't have the opportunity to know God. And I just did my life. She's like, I always ask the question, would any of you have come and talked to me and told me about Jesus? And I was like, oh. <laughs> but we can all say that about our lives. If we didn't know God, would any of us come and tell that person about God. We're so privileged and honored to know Jesus. But what if we didn't? Knowing what we know now. Uh, Pastor James put on his Insta story, I think last week, about the documentary of Billy Graham. And I love Billy Graham, so I was obviously wanting to watch it. So I actually watched it this morning because I felt like I was supposed to bring it into my message. It's on Netflix, so go watch it. It's only an hour and a half. It should have been a lot longer, in my opinion. 
And the powerful thing about Billy Graham's life is he was a farmer's son. He was an ordinary person. But he was extraordinary because he said yes to the call. He was in Bible college and he felt like God asked him to do what he did. And that was share the gospel. And this man impacted the earth. I don't, I can't, I don't know if I should say that, like, Jesus and then Billy Graham. I don't know if that's right, but that's what I feel like. The stadiums were filled. Like, everything was filled when he, when he spoke. And he went around the world. He went into places no one was invited to go. Behind the Iron Curtain, into North Korea, he met with kings and queens, and he met with the poor. He had such a passion for the one person. And watching his documentary, the thing that caught me was he preached the gospel and he loved Jesus and he shared the friendship of Jesus with people. But he also showed up in disasters. He also showed up in tragedy. The civil rights, floods, communism, bombings, 9-11. He was always asked to come. Why? I feel like the world could trust him because he knew compassion and he knew kindness in those seasons. And that he reflected Jesus in those moments. We can speak about love, which is good, and we should, but we should also back it up with action. It'll speak louder. And before I watched this documentary, and I was, um, it's in regards to the next uh, verse I'm going to read. I was watching, um, I had this thought, and it was this thought of like, okay, so you know in movies with like aliens, and New York City is getting hit. New York City always gets hit when the aliens come. It's just like the target zone. And you know the immediate thing for people to do is to run into the streets. And I'm kind of like, uh, that's easy access for them to get you. But anyways, I was thinking about this, about how, like, I just had this picture of people running in the streets, like, all people that love Jesus just running down the streets, like, sharing about the stories of God. And it's in reference to this verse, Romans 10, 13, a sight to take your breath away, grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. Could you imagine if each person in this room told one good thing to someone who did not know Jesus. One good thing about God. Could you imagine the wave that would hit? What, what happened if all the churches in Calgary said one good thing? Each person at the church said one good thing. What about the world? I just have this picture of these streets of people just running down, telling the good things of God. And it's funny because then when I was watching the documentary, it opens up with the streets of New York City filled with people wanting to hear about Jesus in, ni- in the 1950s by Billy Graham. But what if the streets were filled with people just good things? It doesn't have to be weird. Like, I think sometimes we have this thought that, oh, we have to go stand on a soapbox on the corner of a street and preach fire, hell, and brimstone. Don't do that because I just heard you can get a ticket for it. Did not know that. Yeah. I know. Well, if you feel like God's calling you to do it, maybe. I don't know. But just be careful. But, like, don't be weird. Don't be the Christians that are just preaching, like, hate. Just, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of, like, connecting with people, loving people, buying their coffee, saying, hey, like, you look sad. Can I, can I pray for you? Even though it's a little weird. But I bet you anything, they'll always remember it. Paul in Colossians says, it is our duty to make him known. 
That's a pretty strong word, our duty. It's our purpose. So are, is that your duty? Have we made it? Is it mine? He also goes on to say, pray that I am given opportunities to share of this beautiful revelation. And so my prayer for you and your prayer for yourself each day should be, God, give me opportunities to share about you. When I go to places, this doesn't happen all the time, but when I drive places or I go to stores, I ask the Lord, is there anyone I need to talk to today? Highlight them. And it's not that they're more important than anyone else in that room. It's just that they might be really ripe for the season. They might be ready just on the brink of salvation, or they just need a prayer. And it's a lifestyle. It's not a checklist to, oh, check that off today. It's a lifestyle. It's an overflow You know why it's an overflow? It's because you've encountered love. I'm going to ask the the band to come up. I just want to close with... um, Yeah, I remember last time I said I need an iPad. I always get mixed up with paper. Anyways, okay. So the band can come up. Um, When you have a close friend, and this friendship is so close that you... You know them, you know their hopes, their dreams, you know their passions, and you know what breaks them, you know it's, you know, robs them of hope, what grieves them, you know when they're sad, and you ask them questions so you can know them more, and you ask them questions like, hey, how can I help you? And that's just with our friends on earth. But if we are friends with God, and we are, and in fact we are his children, We have the same invitation to know his heart, to know what brings him joy and happiness, what excites him, but we also get to know what grieves him. I remember I was at this prayer meeting once, and the person asked me to pray, and I was like, I don't think you do want me to pray out loud, but she asked me to pray, and I said, okay, and it was scary because the only thing on my heart to pray was God, how can we minister to you? How can we ease the grief and the pain that you're feeling right now? I think something had happened in the news. There was like a shooting or something. And it's like God grieves over the brokenness in our world. But how can we minister to him? How can we, how can we ease the grief and the pain? He's God. He can do it himself. But we love him. And Billy Graham was such a wise man because he was invited into the funeral for 9-11. They had grounded all planes, and they only allowed one plane to fly, and that was to bring Billy Graham in. And he had every opportunity to preach the gospel message, and he did, but it was a creative way. And it's the thing that really caught my attention. He actually shared with people about a God who was grieving with them. He shared about a God who was crying with them. And see, many people out there think that God hates them or is a God of judgment and anger. And this funeral was, te- funeral was televised around the world. And Billy Graham was given the opportunity to show a God of compassion and love and kindness. See, the world sometimes doesn't know this because they, they haven't re- experienced compassion on that level or kindness. If we know God's heart, and I know we do, 
It is his desire and for his creation and his sons and daughters to come home, that they would know his love and his forgiveness. In worship, I was that what kept him coming out of my spirit was their hearts burned when they walked beside you. And I wonder if people's hearts are burning as they're standing beside you. If Jesus is in your life, I wonder as they stand beside you, they feel something different that's coming off of you. Are their hearts burning because they feel Jesus? They feel the Holy Spirit. And here's the most outlandish, beautiful, overwhelming thing is that he asks us to help him. The God of the universe asks us to help him bring his kids home. We have met love. We have been forgiven. We have been transformed. Can you imagine not knowing God? You know, I was thinking, I don't think we really realize how much the presence of God is around us daily. What if for one second it disappeared and we were able to feel the void? That's what the world feels. We have peace around us. We have comfort. We have protection because we're in covenant with Jesus. But what if you didn't have that? That would be such a uh, feeling. It would be so scary. I wouldn't know what to do. And we know comfort and we know peace and we know provision. Well, the world knows none of it. But let us not be selfish. Let us introduce them to love. And let us introduce them to truth and hope and freedom and mercy and forgiveness. And most of all, let us introduce them to their father. And as I was prepping this message this week, I felt like there were people in this room that have a real heart for the nations. And I know in the church we really talk about like the marketplace and the seven mountains and the city. And I think that's so important. Trust me, I believe it. But there's this thing where I'm like, I have it in my heart for the nations. Like who's going to go to the ends of the earth? You know, and if there's people in this room tonight and you feel like God is calling you to the nations, I don't think you should second guess it. Because I don't think the enemy, enemy would ask you to go to the nations. God would. So you may feel called to go to the nations. Go. You may be, feel called to go to the boardrooms. Go. You may feel called to go to the classrooms. Go. You may be called to the medical fields. Go. The whole time you're going, share the love of Jesus. Be the love of Jesus. Don't be judgment. Don't be condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts. Our responsibility is to plant the seeds, to water the seeds. Go. Love. And I might be challenging a Western mindset because it's a a mindset that we have to challenge all the time. Because when you talk to people from different countries around the world, they're going. You know, they're sacrificing their life. They're going thrown in prison to share about Jesus. It is your duty to make him known. So let me ask you these questions. It's not a test, and I want you to dig deep. Because these questions need to pull out of you what is deep inside of you that is beautiful revelation, and that is sharing the gospel and the power 
that has happened in your life. You can put the verse back on the screen, Romans 10, 14. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who could be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? And so in this moment, I am asking you to give a response to God. Tonight could be a night where your life changes. You might feel the call to go. But I'm actually going to ask you to give a response, whether you walk forward, whether you stand up, whether it's a change in your heart, whether it's kneeling, it's a response. So I leave you with two questions. One is from heaven. Who will go for us? And the other one I ask from myself, will you go? Will you tell them?